Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the Anna Podcast and what is turning out to be one of my very favorite series features on this show. We are hearing from connectors this month and I am finding myself so deeply inspired and connected to these special women during each interview. I know you are feeling the same and I'm thrilled to share today's guest with my special community. Mrs. Jamila A. Hoodkirk has served an edu- as an educator for over 20 years and currently serves as principal of Fountain Elementary School in Clayton County Public Schools, one of the largest urban school districts in Metro Atlanta for the past 10 years. Fountain Elementary is designated as Title I school, serving over 600 students in grades pre-K through 5th. At Fountain Elementary, Mrs. Hoodkirk focuses on impacting her teachers' instructional practices through identifying and providing high-quality professional learning experiences that are innovative, practical, and aligned with student achievement best practices. Through impacting instructional practices, her students' academic experiences are expanding beyond the traditional classroom walls as students are developing an understanding of social justice and how social justice impacts their community. Before serving as principal, Mrs. Hoodkirk served as an elementary language arts school improvement specialist for Clayton County Public Schools. Believing passionately in the power of education to positively affect communities, transform lives, and shape new visions for leading and learning in a globally competitive world is what drives Mrs. Hoodkirk. Grounded in her earliest years as a classroom teacher and growing up in a home where her parents were active participants in the civil rights community, Mrs. Hoodkirk also believes her own educational and family upbringing has shaped her ability to harvest a sense of pride and empowerment as she strives to create a stronger community while educating those who will one day lead them. Mrs. Hoodkirk's educational endeavors also include classroom teaching experience and serving as an assistant principal at the elementary and middle school level. However, her greatest accomplishment includes being a wife of almost 20 years and mother to four boys and one girl, ranging from ages 25 to two years of age. Being one of the most challenging and rewarding accomplishments yet, she has recently added one more why to her plate, empowering other female leaders to work on the work while creating balance in their own lives. Realizing that there is much to learn from her own experiences and those of other dynamic female leaders, she has recently created a blog and other social media platforms that are reflective of those golden nuggets. It is a desire and hope that other leaders who share similar experiences, work-life balance will have a safe, honest platform to which to learn from and express their own personal journeys on how they manage to find harmony or not between their professional and personal lives. From the first moment Jamila and I connected, I was hooked And in this episode, she shares her experiences in education, which are vast. We talk about what leading during COVID-19 remotely is like for her and her context. Jamila shares great insight for us about relationships, the challenge mitigating inequities, and her passion for building leaders. I absolutely love Jamila. She has become one of my very favorite people. She will absolutely inspire you, my friends. She's full of fire and grace, and I'm so excited to share with you Jamila Hoodkirk's Connector story. Welcome, Jamila Hoodkirk, to the In Awe Podcast. I am extremely thrilled to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I have had a maybe five-minute conversation with you prior to this chat, and my listeners, I can guarantee you, I speak on their behalf, are going to absolutely love you. You are becoming my new best friend. You don't even know it yet. I love best friends. We need best friends. Women need to have best best friends. Absolutely. You're part of the sister circle here on the Anna podcast. I'm so excited. So would you do me a favor, Jamila, and just share a little bit about your you know, current context and what you're up to in the world? I shared your bio, but man, we'd love to hear a little bit more about you from your lens. 
Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, what really molds me, um, I am a mother of four boys and one girl and a wonderful wife to a wonderful husband um, that they are extremely supportive. Um, they've sacrificed a lot for what I'm the work that I'm currently working. I am an um, elementary school principal and I've been at the same school for 10 years, uh, which is huge in a lot of places because, you know, principals get moved around sometimes. So I'm, I'm extremely um, fortunate and blessed to be at one school. Um, but I've been in education for about um, 23 years now, and I've been an educator in Alabama, in Georgia, in Texas. So a lot of those places have really molded my work and my purpose. And I'm just extremely excited um, about being here and speaking to you about it. As I was listening to you and processing your very big life, going five kids, I was just listening to <laughs> one of my favorite podcasts is the Jen uh, for the love with Jen Hatmaker. And she had Jim Gaffigan, who's a, a comedian. I don't know if you're familiar, but he said people who have five kids are called Cinco's, um, mostly because you sink all the time, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's really Spanish for five, but you're crazy. Uh, I came from a family of seven. So I have some level of perspective of what that might look like on the day to day. So I'm just thinking you are are a superhero. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I'm the oldest of five. So it's really, um, it's a, a normal for me, um, except it's different when you're raising the five. So uh, kudos to my parents, because uh, I do not know how they did it. But I'm sure with grace and blessings um, and support, that's probably how they did it and um, truly need it. I love it. And you're correct. There is a very big difference between leading a family like that. Um, so I think that I'm going to have to have you back on a series on just that topic alone. I feel like there's so much we could talk about. <laughs> yes, we could have talk about. Oh, yes, I'm excited. So I want to hear, I want the listeners to hear too, would you be willing to share um, like their, the age range? And because I want to be able to get into a little bit of a conversation about now, you know, our current context of life with COVID-19, but, and I think that'll kind of segue into a little bit about what life looks like right now leading for you, but what are those ages? Absolutely. Absolutely. So my, actually my oldest, which I call my bonus child, because he was approximately two years old when my husband and I um, met each other. He's 25. So he's in college. And my 17 year old is the oldest one in the, in the household right now. And he's finishing out his junior year quarantine and entering into his senior year. So that's very exciting and a little frightening at the mm -hmm. same time. Um, then I have a 13 year old son, um, Amir. The oldest is Toussaint. Amir is 13. Ishmael is five. And Zuri is two. And they run the household really. <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love it. So just thinking about right now, I mean, you said that you were in education for, you said 22 years. Was that? Mm -hmm. wow. 23 years. Yep. 23 years. Yeah. As a veteran person in education and you've served in several States in several roles, um, what is it like right now for you uh, to be leading during a pandemic? <laughs> That's a kind of like a big question, but Oh my goodness. You know, you, you, we talk about, or we see these things in movies and we never thought or think that we will actually be a part of a movie. It's like being in a movie scene. Um, yes, I've been in several states. Um, I started off teaching um, straight out of college. Um, I attended Tuskegee University. Um, and then I decided that time that I still wanted to fill my bucket, that I wanted to be able to reach all children. So I attended Auburn University mm -hmm. where I received my master's in special education. 
Um, from there, I stayed in Alabama and taught um, in Alabama area for about three years and then moved um, to Texas, Austin, Texas, and taught there and also received uh, my degree at University of Texas at Austin in leadership. And at the time, to be honest with you, my initial, I wanted to be connected to schools, but I really had a passion for developing teachers. And so I thought I was going to be this professor. Um, But lo and behold, I became, my husband and I became pregnant and with our first child. And so I found myself in school teaching and having a newborn. And so I had a two week break and um, from school, but um, obviously on maternity leave, but I had to go back to school. So here I am um, teaching, caring for a newborn, going to school full time and just trying to, you know, handle the household. But it was so rewarding because I, my infant or um, child was able to be present at my graduation. So I always um, thought that was important for them to see uh, my children, see me attain higher um, education. So, you know, being there and then being um, after that, you know, being in leadership, I became an assistant principal right after graduating and um, in middle and elementary school. So that was rewarding. The middle school definitely was an eye opener for me and prior to going back down to elementary. But it gave me an insight on what was needed for our students um, prior to going to middle school. So I knew that God had put me on that path, um, even though it was only for a year. um, So that can go back down to the elementary level and really make sure that our students and our scholars were prepared for what they were about to embark upon going into the middle school. I think between elementary, middle, and high school, middle school is probably the hardest level for our students. Um, And so that was something that I really took to and wanted to make sure that uh, my teachers understood and students understood what they were walking into. After getting there and um, my, we didn't have family out there. We, it was just my husband and I and some really good friends that we acquired and, and got children. But we also knew the importance of making sure that our children grew up around grandparents. Uh, my dad has this, he just recently said that um, the encyclopedia, our elders are our encyclopedia um, right now. And which is really sad considering everything that's going on because our elderly community um, are the ones that are being hit the hardest and those are encyclopedia. That's our history. So it was important for us to move back to Georgia. Uh, My husband's from Alabama, but back to this area where our children can um, grow up around their grandparents and family and and cousins and really get true um, family enrichment. They had the other, they had the world enrichment. You know, it was wonderful experiences, but um, we wanted to make sure that they were able to come back and learn from um, their grandparents what we learned from our own parents so that we'll be um, better prepared for the world. So that's what we did. And we moved back here and started back with my educational career in central office and in, in, in the school now as a school leader. Um, so now I find myself trying to infuse some of those um, best practices or early teachings that um, were provided that I was afforded as a child and in my own children to other children so that they um, will be productive citizens and um, really know how to navigate the world. Um, and I truly believe um, this is Sankofa saying you, you must look back in order to move forward. And so we really have to be intentional about teaching history because history has a way of repeating itself. And if you're not aware of those challenges and um, the mistakes that are made, um, then we're we're going to make those same mistakes. So that's kind of what, let, what has led me to where I am 
um, to this day is just being a leader, not just instructional leader, but just being a life leader and, and trying to do that in, by modeling, because I think you can tell someone, you can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make them drink it. And I think you can lead better by, you know, being that um, model and understanding that people will follow you if they know you are willing to do the work and that you have gone through something similar or it can least relate to what they're going through. So that's kind of been my journey up to this point. It's such a good journey. I was actually smiling because we were trying to decide uh, between Jamila and I where to have you featured. You know, we do the series features on the In podcast. And I'm realizing that we have you in connectors, not because of this idea, this common idea of making connections, though that is so clearly a strength of yours and um, just kind of alluding to it right now in regard to how you lead people. But also, I love so much, I can already pick up that you have just this kind of superpower of making connections in life, you know, like, um, your timeline, your progress, uh, the way you were raised, um, to the stories, to now, to um, why you have this like um, deep sense of passion and um, purpose in your heart to serve. I think you said underserved. I know you mentioned that you prefer to work in schools with um, students who face like bigger challenges so that you can help them rise up. And so I just really, really love how this is unfolding and and hearing your story and just that idea of how you put it all together here. Um, And I wanted to go back to one thing you said about serving at the middle school being one of our most challenging spaces. Um, I taught middle school and I've been a middle school principal. And I think there's a particular type of person who flourishes with middle school students. And I think that's the person that can see the challenges, right? Like I always, I make a joke and it's, it's not always, it's not meant to be unkind, but I always tell parents, I've always told them this. And I'm going to remind myself of this as I enter into it in my own parenting, parenting phases that approximately seventh grade, like uh, I will say Valentine's Day up to like Christmas time, eighth grade, we become aliens of ourselves. It's a developmental thing. It's a brain development piece. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have a current seventh grader in my home and I thought it would be a difference between females and males. Absolutely not. It, it, there's no gender discrimination at all. They go through the same thing and I'm just trying to navigate this. It's It's amazing. I'm so glad. And that resonated with you because if you're sitting, like if you're, if you have one of those in your home right now, just realize you're not alone. They'll get back to some type of normalcy at some point. But I always had to remind myself of that with my students that just like, okay, this is normal to be abnormal. And that's like, we're walking each other home through that space. So I just, I love how you made the connection between that one year of your life serving so that you could better prepare the kids. It's just clearly something that you deftly do. So I just wanted to point that out. Thank you. So another thing uh, that I want to make sure we get to, I'm so fascinated by you as a person just in regard to the wide expanse of experience that you've had leading. Um, and right now, you know, we're in a really weird spot. Everybody, you know, we've, I've been saying this a lot, like there's nobody doing this right or wrong right now, but we really don't have a roadmap or a rule book for how to lead during a pandemic. Like I'm sure that you didn't have any of that really. I mean, we have manuals for crisis and I think we actually probably have things that say, you know, pandemic (laughs) in the manuals that nobody's read, right? But what do you think has been the greatest um, challenge of of leading remotely a school? Well, I'll say one of the things that offsets the challenge, if you are a great leader and you have relationships with your staff, this pandemic brings and shows you 
your leadership. And what I mean by that, I have identified based upon being in this pandemic, I've seen the effects of my leadership. And, you know, in the building, you're constantly you, you, you question sometimes that's what leaders do. And if you don't, then you're not really being a really great leader. You have to question um, and because questioning just makes you get better and you want to always question, am I doing this right? Can I do it better? And so forth. Uh, one of the things that I realized and learned is that we have great relationships in our building and I have great relationships with my staff because when it came time to the pandemic, anything that I asked them to do, the bare minimum, they did above and beyond. So it made the work a little manageable, a little more manageable. Um, the The problem that I had as a leader was not being able to uh, what I would say, size my staff and students up. I can't see when they walk mm. in the building, if they're having a good day, um, if they're scared, if they are in need of something. That was the most challenging for me because if, you know, when you walk the hallways every morning or when you stand in front or you're speaking with your teachers and students, you get to see, and even for teachers, when students walk into their classroom, walk in the door, you know right away what kind of day your student is going to have because you know how they walk through the door. It was hard for me not to see my staff and not to see my students because staff and students are struggling through this pandemic. So I could not help them. You know, as a leader, you 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 feel your job is to be able to solve the problems and put out the fires. And here I am at home and I can't do anything. You feel helpless. So that was challenging mm-hmm. for me. Um, the other thing that was challenging was making sure and I and my my staff will tell you, I said it constantly. I need you to make sure you balance, you know, because it was new. I mean, we were trying to figure it out and they're asked to still continue to teach their students, but they had their own children at home. And so we were trying to figure out, OK, or, I, you know, as a leadership team, what can we do to take some things off their plate? And so they can really focus. What are some things we can put in place to make it a little more structured? Um, and so it was challenging because. Those teachers who are typically my strong teachers were the ones or in some cases that were struggling the most. And I didn't think about that. I thought more about the quiet ones, but not my extroverts. And so having those conversations. So my Friday check ins um, quickly changed to the first question. You know, the the check ins initially were how many children got online? How many are you missing? Who haven't you heard from? And then after that first week, the first question is, how are you doing? How can I support you? And I had to switch that so that that was my only way of getting a pulse of, you know, on how my my staff was doing. And then once if there was someone that was like, oh, okay, or this, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, whatever, then they got a personal call from me. And not just a call, you had to get on Google Meets or the hang, uh, the FaceTime so I could see your eyes because I wanted to put my face on you to make sure you were okay and help you navigate this. And so it was challenging um, not being able to get to them and not being able to get to those mm-hmm. students who we we had over 100 students that we hadn't heard from that could not get on um, a digital device. Um, they weren't picking up a packet. They weren't picking up the grab and go lunch and breakfast. And these are students that we're used to having on our radar. And we don't know if they're OK, if they have access to anything. And so that was challenging. Um, and frustrating for some of my teachers, especially those that you knew before you left the building that they were having challenges. That was the most challenging, not being able to put out a fire or solve a problem. 
Yeah. And it's speaking to the heart of a connector um, in you because I'm, what I loved is that you and I have never met before. We've just heard one another's voices, you know, back and forth here for the first time. And I can already tell that you're a leader who deeply connects with the people she serves because just even, you know, just the example of, you know, seeing how students walk in the building and, you know, you've been there long enough, you're established as you noted that they become your family. Is that accurate? That is totally accurate. I mean, it's, it's almost a little scary uh, how close <laughs> we are because it's like any other family. You you have disagreements, but you don't hold it to anyone and you come together when you need to come together. And that's the beauty of it. And that's what I mean by those great leaders. You sh- Right now, leaders see a reflection of themselves. That's what essentially it means. If, if, if you have a really good um, plan going and your teachers are rocking and rolling and your students are on and, and parents are supportive, that is a reflection of your leadership. If you have a lot of things that are fragmented and things are just all over the place, that's a uh, reflection of your leadership. And in, and for all of us, even through during this time, there were times that we could see fragmented and together. And then it wasn't until we said, OK, let's stop, pause, let's plan what we want to do. And let's make sure everyone's on page. And then it came together and that and it's OK. I mean, you know, so, yeah, it, it's 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 um this is a challenge. Like you said earlier, there's no manual to this and this is not the end. It's only the beginning. But at mm. the same time, it really forces us to really think about what I've said from the beginning is actually it, it's it's almost like showing you slip. Right now, America is where our slip is showing a little bit. So though, and what I mean by that is those inequities um, that are instilled in education that we thought we had, um, well, not all of us thought, a lot of us who still work in those, <laughs> those communities that are underserved, we know that they still exist, but they are showing even more. And so even within my own school and district, there's a lot of inequity because um, between my own children, my, my children that we literally right next door, we have one-to-one devices. My children in the community that I serve, we don't. So they don't have access. So it, it's it's really it's um it's really interesting. Really interesting. I love that you shared that analogy, like showing your slip. Um, and so I I'm trusting that you're going to be comfortable going down this path. The one-to-one devices is one thing, right? That is one inequity that is very much showing for those of us that are cued in to what's what has been there, has long been there. Um, the schools I've served in, same different, you know, different demographic, but similar issues. Um, 80% free and reduced lunch was the, mm-hmm. the school that I worked in for my eight wonderful years of teaching. And I would never have wanted to be anywhere else as the most blessed and beautiful school and family and experience. But I was thinking about what you're saying in regard to the inequity. And I'm wondering if you'd share your insights on some others, just in case we have listeners who, you know, I have some that aren't in education and they're not thinking about these things. What other inequities um, are we seeing? So we are seeing um, inequities, obviously, in, the, in, the, in electronic devices. We're seeing inequity in in food. You know, we mm-hmm. we have grabbing goals at our I'm a, I'm grabbing goal site, meaning um, between nine and twelve um, and nine a.m. and twelve p.m. Monday through Friday, parents and families up to the age of 18 can come and pick up breakfast and lunch um, in the car rider lane, pick it up and go, um, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. The problem that I have uh, and that we experience because I have about mm, six or seven buses 
and two busloads um, of children. Mm-hmm. And it's approximately about three children to a seat. So I have a huge population that don't have transportation. So mm-hmm. although it's great that I have the meals, I still have a large population that can't get to the meals. And so my students and then I'm a school that we had um, great um, partnerships with our church community and they provided snack bags on Friday for those children who um, could take them home on the weekend and have, you know, snacks. Because for many of our children, their only meals are their uh, breakfast and lunch that they receive at our school. So that's one mm-hmm. um, inequity. Transportation. Um, our area is considered a food desert. So I don't have um, grocery stores that are um, near where I can walk to to get fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, I have children who can't get to the doctor's office. And what if I do have the virus or symptoms? Where am I going to go and how am am I going to get there? So um, and who am I going to communicate with? And, And again, and even if I have a device, I might not have Internet. And although we have um, a partnership and we um, we have a company that was really um, providing that free um, Internet access to families, but they are under um, staffed. So I still have a lot of families who can't get the Internet. Um, so it's a lot of different things that are um, showing up in, um, you know, food, electronic devices, healthcare. The typical things um, is just that at least in the building, we knew that they were in a safe place and they could get though, all of those things, even with having a healthcare tech, even with, you know, having um, glasses, you know, be able to get those services or ear and eye, um, ear, ear and uh, vision services and getting tested. At least I had those things in my building um, to get those things started. But now I can't control uh, whether or not they get that. So that those are some of the inequities that we're seeing um, in our communities. And I just think that um, sometimes we can get caught up in our own bubbles, um, in our own families and own communities, especially if you Mm -hmm. don't live in the community in which you work. um, You can it can be easy to kind of remove yourself from it. And I I wouldn't necessarily educators because educators, you know, we to educators typically are connected automatically because it's not for the money. You're definitely not there for the money. You're there you're there because that's a passion for you. So whether you live in that community or not, you are very vested in that community. Um, but if you are, but there are businesses that have businesses in the community, but don't live in that community. So if you're not um, pouring into those schools before mm-hmm. this pandemic, hopefully after this pandemic, there'll be more businesses that are pouring into those schools to make sure, because again, these are, these are the individuals who we're going to rely on to take care of us. And so we don't give them the tools to do so. We're going to be looking at the same things that we're seeing right now. And that is not going to get it um, for us to have a healthy community. And I don't mean just healthy by nutrition. I just mean healthy all around. I mean, social, emotional, even, you know, having just being emotionally healthy. Um, So we've got to really think about how we're going to be intentional in supporting our schools, because even as we talk now, we're talking about funding. We know that there's something's going to have to be cut. And of course, what is the first thing that are already talking about cutting? Education funding to education, which means that you think of it as short term right now, but we're not thinking about the long term effect of that. And we're going to fill it. We're definitely going to fill it. Oh, it gets pretty heavy when you start peeling it apart like that. Um, 
you know, I know that when, when I think about it and I'm thinking about your connections, um, this idea of connecting, what are the things that are playing on your mind in regard to, you know, next year? I know that there's so many big question marks, right? Like I'm not trying to ask you to look into a crystal ball, but have you as a leader been processing how to reconnect with your families and your students once we're able to see one another face to face again? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, as a as a former leader, your planning starts now. You know, you probably started planning in February, really probably January. We just don't like to really uh, say that out loud. But we start thinking about where we're going to place people, where we're going to do the children. I mean, a lot of things come up but with this new pandemic. One of the things that I've talked to my staff about is the fact that we will, although our children have missed nine weeks, and in, in addition to the summer months that they'll be, you know, out of school. And if, you know, we don't even know if we're going to come back, you know, in August, because typically we would start at the beginning of August. Um, we can't go in thinking automatically that we're going to go in and play catch up with academics. Hmm. We're going to, you know, the, the first rule of thumb in school, um, as you know, Sarah, is safety. That's the first and foremost, you know, even the first day of school, get them in safe get them out safe. Um, And if people do not feel safe, whether it's in a home, school, community, they can't function properly. So it's the same thing with with relationships. And as when we talk with teachers, if you have a great relationship with your students, they'll do, you know, pretty much anything for you, but you have to build relationships. So we're definitely going to have to go in and make sure that we are um, addressing the social emotional side, whether that means people feeling safe enough to go into the building because it's being cleaned regularly regularly, or it has been cleaned before prior to them getting there. Uh, Whether it means that we are going to set up a um, platform for students and staff to express their emotions, whether it's good or whether they're bad. So the um, social emotional piece is going to be very instrumental. And I know that all, not all schools are what we call SEL trained. Um, and if you're not an SEL trained school, which I'm not, you're going to definitely as a principal have to make sure that you are aware of some SEL social emotional learning practices that will allow and lend itself to making sure that your students and staff feel safe as they start working on instruction. Um, and then we also can't spend a lot of time um, working on things we missed first and then going into the curriculum because um, those things we have to look at our curriculum and say, OK, what can be taught simultaneously? Because there are a lot of things they can anyway and that we should. It's almost like, in, you know, interdisciplinary learning anyway. Um, so what can we do? And then really, we just have to think about schooling differently. Um, you know, technology is not new. We we have to do a needs assessment and, and kind of see what our needs are and then what do we already have in place? Because we have a lot of things in place, but how can we really enhance what we already have? And then how can we train our parents, our students and our teachers for this new normal of learning virtually um, and then making sure that they have the tools necessary to do so? So we really have to think differently about um, our planning. Typically, we're like, what is our goal? What is our focus? What's going to be our school wide initiative? And um, is it going to be literacy focus or math? And those things are still important because you can't lose um, sight of what the end goal is. And it's not about the state assessment. It's really about learning, teaching and learning. So even more um, and hopefully um, I don't know if there are state departments listening. Hopefully. Um, 
<laughs> next year, obviously, that there, there won't be an end of year assessment because that would be unfair as well. Because, you know, measuring how much our students learn in spite, you know, in light of everything that's going on and teachers and schools can really focus on are my students learning? Um, so more than ever, we'll just really have to focus on the balanced child, um, the whole child. Um, but as a school leader, not just about the child, you have to think about your staff because you have staff members who have underlying conditions. You have staff members who are have anxiety right now. Um, you have staff members who have family members who have been compromised by the COVID-19. And so people are going to come in with a lot of different emotions. And so um, and then we also have to be in check with our own emotions. And that's an important thing that we don't do as leaders a lot of times is check our own selves and make sure that we're good because we all had those days where we're like, oh my gosh, and you know, I just, this is, I feel like I'm working more and on more meetings than I was when I was in a building. Um, but you have to make sure that your emotional compass is in place as well so that you can fill the buckets of others. So that's going to be really important is just having a balance. I've heard that from you a few times, um, and I think it's so critical, and I just appreciate you going down that road. I uh, was thinking about a couple of different resources. I just want to reference, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Jody Carrington. She wrote a book called Kids These Days, and she's a psychologist. She's great. I've had her on the podcast, and I just can't help but think about her mantra is that, um, you know, if, if the people who are holding our kids aren't okay, our kids aren't going to be okay. And I know that, I, I know she words it differently. I didn't word it quite accurately, but I just love how you're, I think more than ever, we've been talking about, um, social emotional needs of our students before the pandemic. And then recently we've been more careful about talking about our, our staff, which I think is so good. It's actually one of my major passion areas. It's my going beyond balance message that I've been so grateful to share, um, over the last couple of years with teachers, but I really, really value what you just said about the leaders because that's been my kind of sticking point. Um, you know, I co-authored Balance Like a Pirate with two other leaders and we were pretty vulnerable in there about some of the things that we face. And I have seen a start to um, school communities acknowledging this for the principalship. Um, now I've been spending time, I'm going to be a, a finishing up my practicum for superintendency. And I see more and more that superintendents need this. Like we need to, as you said, be sure that our compass is okay so we can fill the buckets of others. And I want to just be able to end this part of our interview by pointing out, Jamila, you are amazing because you're remote leading. You're thinking about all these kids. You're thinking about your staff. And yet you've told us you have all <laughs> these kids in your house and you're trying to lead. Yes. So <laughs> I just think it's a gift to share the inside of that with my listeners. And so I'm thankful that you would do that. But I know that there's a push pull inside of you because, man, I'm married to a teacher and I see the amount of stress and anxiety that that's putting on him just as a person of who he is and how he functions in this world. And I'm trying to do my own projects, but I'm giving up hours every day just so that I can help my second grader. And, you know, that's a stress. And so I just, I thank you for the service and for kind of giving this little insight for our listeners into that world and reminding us that we all need to walk each other, you know, carefully Absolutely. through all of this. And then, and that's the important piece there is that we, we can't do it in isolation and we have to do it together. And so that's going to be important as, as well. And that's, what's um, so great about um, your work and, and your platform is that 
um, it's a way of bringing, um, you know, people together, a professional learning network so that you don't have to navigate it by yourself. No one says that you have to come up with something totally new. Um, if someone's doing something that's really working and, and they or they have a way of doing it the right way, then we should really tap into that. And that's that's the power of um, engagement. That's the power of, of learning together and, and a network. It is. And, and I just, I appreciate you. And I wanted to share one more thing because I can just feel it pressed on my heart to say this is I think as leaders, and I would say, especially as women leaders, we feel, and we know this, this is so driven by data. It's just in study after study is that we believe and know that we have to do like double the work um, to prove ourselves. And therefore we have to keep up an image too. And one of the things that, Mm -hmm. um, that I've been blessed with is a a really tight group of women leaders. And this week has been hard. It continues to be really, really hard for leaders as they're trying to like meet the needs of their learning communities. I'm thinking my high school principals who are iterating their third or fourth idea about what we could do for graduation. And they're just mourning alongside their learning communities and dealing with the pressures of the emotions that come from the families on that. And I was coaching a principal this week and I just said, look, um, I want you to hear this (laughs) really effective titled award-winning leaders are breaking down and struggling right now. It's okay. If you're having a moment, like just let's acknowledge it. This is real. (laughs) So absolutely. 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 And it's okay. We have to give ourselves grace as well. And to say, and I think one of the best things you can do as a leader is say, you don't know. Um, and that's something I had to learn, you know, along the way, because I was that leader that wanted to be strong and to know, or for my, you know, my teachers to know, or to feel like I knew everything. And, um, that, um, I learned that once I let go and I started letting them know, I don't know. And I just made sure I put people around me that did, or I would, I don't know about that. Let me get back to you. I gained more respect because I think, um, they were like, okay, She's more like us. <laughs> and that's important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is so good. Okay. Well, um, Jamila, I have two standard questions I need to ask you. They are my favorite. My listeners love hearing them. And I know that you're just going to give us some gold. So can we rock those out real quick before we're done? Okay. okay. Yes. So the first one yes. is, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? Oh, that's a good one. Mm. If I could write a letter to myself, well... I would probably say um, you will not be able to please everyone, um, that you must be strong and confident in your convictions, um, but also admit when you are wrong or you do not know something. Like I just said a, a second ago, I think people um, tend to relate to you more um, when you're able to do that. Um, the thing I most um, probably learned the most is surround yourself by genuinely good people who truly believe in your success and care about whether or not you fail. Um, and so, and, and that was because in my earlier years, I was that, um, individual that was afraid to say, I didn't know. Um, and I was not confident in my ability to lead others. Um, so that would oftentimes overshadow what I knew to be right and not follow my instincts. Um, not to the detriment of, you know, hurting someone, um, but not also moving or getting better. So, um, I learned to be you know, be more vocal and speak up for myself and that it was okay to come across as being strong and, and confident. Um, and, but, and I'm still professional about it, but these are, um, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. So, um, 
I think that's important to just be really to follow your, I think we all are born with some intuition and instincts and we oftentimes don't follow that. We second guess it instead of really just sitting with it and listening to it and then acting on it. Mm, I love that wisdom. Um, and I, and I think it's a common theme when we think about like that imposter that just makes us question ourselves and, and really, so I, I value that strength um, that you've gained and that you were gifted. So how about this one? As an influential woman, if we have listeners who find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt right now, what do you think you could say to help them up out of it? Trust your intuition and don't be afraid to fail. Um, so I, you know, women are designed, I truly believe my, uh, and my father tells us, women are designed to have strong intuitions. Um, but this inclination is often um, undervalued in our, in our own logic um, based society, because we, we, you know, that's second guessing ourselves. So um, sometimes we can be criticized for being too sensitive or too emotional, too dramatic um, or illogical. Um when we're operating off our intuition, but I think that's what makes us um, strong and, and that's something that's really needed. And so we also have to be patient and wait for the message. I think sometimes we can react automatically and we don't sit for it with it for a minute and just really reflect on what, what is the real message. Um, so, you know, you and I talked a little bit offline a little bit about your journey and some things that you had coming up and you realized, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, and so that's because you were able to sit with that and be patient for the message that was coming across. So uh, we've been provided with the ability to discern for a reason. And so we just need to make sure that we're, you know, we're using that that superpower that we have. Um, um, that's the reason why we were chosen as a species to be able to carry a child. Uh, I can't imagine if men were, but we were chosen to carry a child. And that's a lot. I mean, that that's, you know, so just think about that. I mean, in simplistic terms, it seems grand, but it really simple. You know, we were chosen to be able to carry a child and people in our husbands, say, oh, I couldn't do that. And we know we that's why we were chosen to do it, because we're that strong. Um, so we were born with this innate amount of strength. And um, the only problem that we have is we often do not rely on each other's strength. And so. I'm a true believer in a sense of community, meaning having a support circle of other women who have already been where you are and can support you in your efforts to be your best and one of the best gifts you can give to yourself. That's one of the best gifts. I think sometimes as women, um, we don't share enough with each other um, for whatever reasons. We can go. That's a whole nother uh, podcast, but <laughs> for whatever reasons. <laughs> but once you and you don't have to have a huge circle. Like you mentioned a minute ago about having a, a circle of support for yourself. And I'm sure that making this a tough week really got you through that. And just hearing from other people that they're going through it um, or someone that um, has been through it and knows how to navigate out of it is just as important. So just really um, surrounding yourself with really good people. And, then, and we all can say there have been times where there were people who were around us who really weren't for us. And so you have to be bold enough and fearless enough to know when it's time to remove that person from the inner circle, not your circle at all, you know, totally, but just from that inner circle, because you truly need champions in your circle. Amen. I love your wisdom. You have spoken a word that I needed to hear and be reminded of. And just even speaking directly to me, I'm like, oh, wait, here she goes. This was meant to happen today. (laughs) For the listeners, we've rescheduled this podcast interview a couple times. And I just think it's so funny that 
the timing is perfect. So thank you for that. Mila, I appreciate your time so much and your wisdom. You've just been such a gift. I am so grateful that I got to share your story. And I know that my listeners are definitely going to want to connect with you. Um, They're going to want to remain connected and to get to know you better. So can you share with them just the best way for them to get in touch with you after this interview? Yes. So I am on Instagram um, at Principal Captain Kirk, um, Captain with a C. And I'm also on Facebook, um, Principal Captain Kirk. I have a Facebook page. Um, They can also contact me through uh, my blog website, PrincipalCaptainKirk.com. And they can also email me, PrincipalCaptainKirk at Gmail. Well, listeners know that I will link those things. It'll be nice and easy for you if you would like to get to it after this episode. And I, by the way, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. I love Captain Kirk. That's amazing. So, <laughs> all right. You. Well, Jamila, you are, you've lived a beautiful life. You are a wonderful person to have on this podcast. You're an inspiration. And I'm so grateful for the connections that we've made, the way you connect um, your people and how my listeners can be connected with you now. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.